to Nick, open three, takes it, makes it, Nick Emery! Throws it past the defender, gets into the 18, shoots and near post score, Emery Walker! This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Hello and good evening once again, Cougar Nation. Welcome inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the Brigham Young University campus in Provo, Utah for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, our weekly hour of Cougar conversations with BYU personalities past and present. If you are listening live, you are with us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, coast to coast, and in northern Utah on 89.1 FM HD 2. We are on BYURadio.org and live on the BYU Radio app as well. We are also available on demand via the Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel podcast. However and whenever you are tuning us in, it is great to have you with us. Coming up on this evening's show, some hoops and some football with a current BYU basketball coach and a, and a, and a former BYU football player. As my guests tonight are Lee Kamard and Mitch Matthews. And we're going to start tonight's show on the hardwoods with a native of Mesa, Arizona, who came to BYU at the same time Dave Rose became the head coach of the BYU basketball program. And from 2005 through 2009, Lee Kamard became one of the most versatile and valuable players we've ever seen at BYU. A multiple conference champion with multiple NCAA tournament appearances, he was a conference player of the year. He is second on BYU's career consecutive games played list, fifth in consecutive games started, and 10th in games won. He ended his career at BYU. Top 20 in rebounds, top 15 in points, field goal percentage, and steals. Top 10 in three-pointers made, assists, and blocks. Top 5 in three-point percentage and free throw percentage. Indeed, he is one of the best ever to play for BYU. And after leaving BYU, he continued his career overseas for many seasons. He returned to BYU to join Dave Rose's staff as a grad assistant coach and is now the most recent off-season hire, joining the staff full-time, filling the vacancy left by Heath Schroyer. Lee Kamard, welcome in Behind the Mic. Wow, you know how to make a man feel good. <laughs> it's good to have you in. <laughs> it's good to be here, Greg. Good to see you. I've known you for a long time. We've done many interviews in the past, but it's nice to have you in this setting to get to know a little more about you. I said Mesa, Arizona native because that's where you came from directly before BYU. Um, but uh, was it born and raised? Was that your whole life before BYU, or were you somewhere else? Born and raised, and I drove a car up here uh, May 1st of 2005, and I've been, this has been my home when I come back to the States, you know, in those times overseas, but yeah, it's my home now. Do you consider yourself more an Arizonan or an Arizonan or a Utah at this point? I will say this, when I go back, it is really hot, and so that lets me know that I'm not a true Arizonan anymore, you know. It really is hot there during the summer. BYU football <laughs> defeated, now it's Tucson, it's not the uh, Valley of the Sun per se, it was Tucson on the weekend, but uh, BYU's win over Arizona in football, did you watch it? I actually was camping up Payson Canyon, and I was able to stream it on my phone through the ESPN app. And I know there's a lot of Cougar fans, especially in Arizona, that were pumped with it. I know I was excited. If uh, if football's doing well, things just seem to feel better on campus for some reason. Yeah, this week yeah. has been awesome. We got the win this weekend, first week of school. There's been a lot of energy, and it's always better when football wins. Uh, what's life been like for you since uh, you got the full-time gig? Uh, it's been a roller coaster. Um, oddly enough, I, I've been doing a lot of what I had been doing, just a lot more of that. The The newest piece to me has been the recruiting side of things where I can actually evaluate, watch tournaments, um, text, call, talk to, email, write letters to recruitable athletes, whereas I, I wasn't able to rule-wise before. Okay, we're going to back up and talk about your BYU career here in in a bit, but when you left BYU and, and, and launched your overseas career, what told you that it was time to, to turn the page and, and finish your playing days and then get into the world of coaching? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, I think for where we were at as a family, uh, the money that we wanted wasn't going to be uh, available in Belgium where we had just spent the last four years. And we didn't really feel like changing up the language again on our kids. Uh, my kids were in, immersed in a, a Flemish school, and my two oldest were speaking the language. I had a teammate with three boys that 
also spoke the language, and we just didn't feel good about changing scenery, culture, et cetera. And uh, the opportunity presented itself to to be a GA. I knew I always wanted to give a run at coaching. And so we decided that, hey, this is a good opportunity. And if you're going to have to start and, and, you know, pay your dues, um, let's let's get to it now. We had a home here. So it made a lot of sense. Plus, you know, there there were other opportunities coaching-wise, but they were a little bit more risky. I could come here, get a graduate degree, be close. Um, and I, I knew Coach Rose would look after me, and he did just that. Uh, Belgium, was that your longest stop? Maybe different teams there, but four years. Was that your longest one-country stop? Correct, and it was with the same team all four okay. years. So uh, they treated you apparently pretty well for the time you were there until the very end of it, I guess. Yes, we we loved our time in Belgium. We loved our time overseas. And uh, my wife, um, she wants to go back, you know, if at a minimum wants to go back for a month in the summer. I don't have that luxury, but she wants to take the kids back and try to put them in the last last month of school there because we get out a, a month earlier than they do and send them back to the same school they were at and, and all that. So she, she she has withdrawals, as do I, but uh, we have a lot of good friends there and have some great memories. Between BYU and Belgium, where did you end up, in, like between leaving here and, and ending up in Belgium? So I went to Germany, went to Berlin, a, a, a storied club over there, Albert Berlin, and two months in, um, the coach wasn't happy with me. GM loved me. Coach didn't like me. Coach won out. And so they bought me out of my contract. I came back and I, I played for the the Utah Flash and figured out the, the D-League wasn't best for my game. And uh, so we got kind of uh, out of that and went to France for two seasons or a season and a half. And then uh, went to Japan the next year and then Belgium the next four. So it was mostly Europe with that one year yeah. in Japan. How would you compare the Japanese experience to what you had in France and Belgium and I Germany? Lo- I, I love Japan, and uh, you know, if I didn't have a wife and kids, I, I, I may still be playing in, <laughs> in Japan. It was great. They had a Costco there. So for me, food-wise, I could get what I wanted. I had good Wi-Fi, and then basketball, <laughs> that's about all you need as a, a European pro. Once you found yourself on the uh, on the overseas ladder, if you will, uh, were you pretty content? Uh, I mean, it, it's not it's not pro ball in the States, but you're making money and you're playing the game you love. Uh, what, was it everything you hoped it would be? Yeah, when we got to Belgium, it just felt normal, right? We had a, we had a, 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 a true ward where we would go on Sunday and it felt like a normal Sunday uh, as opposed to other places. Um, we had a ward family, and that really helped my wife and kids. Plus, uh, our kids were at an age where they were in their routine, right? Where take them to school in the morning, pick them up afternoon. They go to basketball a couple nights a week. Dad's game, you know, on the weekend, and it just felt like like life, you know. So, so we really liked it. We we really fell in love with the the Flemish people there. They were great, and uh, yeah, it's good. Okay, best competitive memory of your days overseas. Oh wow. Uh, there was it was the semifinals in Belgium. It was game three. We were down. No, it was game four. We were down two one. We were down twenty six in the second half. Coach drew up a, a crappy zone that we had never practiced before. <laughs> won us the game. We we actually went into three overtimes that game. One of the overtimes with a miraculous shot, and we went on to the finals. Went to game five of the finals. Got blown out by the powerhouse in the league. But that night in our home court was fantastic. One other memory is so in the city I was in, in in Belgium, they have Carnival, right? And in the city I was in, that's like it's the event of the year. Everyone looks forward to it. They have huge parade, whatever. And the game, they always play a home game for Carnival. All the fans dressed up. And it's the tradition of, of, of their city. The men dress up as women and then it or in, in various costumes, you see it all there, and nothing is held back. But the energy and the feeling in that building for Carnival match, it's unbelievable. You guys got, got to wear your regular uniforms, though, I take it, right? Yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah. Everything was normal for us. <laughs> it's just people were there two hours before and really having a good time, as they know how to, to do in, in Belgium. I was so. going to ask you for your craziest European experience, but you might have just described it. I don't know. Was there anything weirder than that? That that 
I would pay money for people to be able to go see that and experience that. We always want our, our my actually my first game in Belgium because I joined the team halfway through the year was a carnival game. We played Antwerp, and it was crazy. I had a great game, and it was it, it was off to the races after that. Was there any experience over there that, that beyond the one you just described where you have to say, "Yeah, that's Europe." Oh, that's a good question. Because uh, a, a lot of guys, a lot of guys' stories are like teams like folding overnight, or you know, just to, taking forever to get paid, or that kind of thing. I, you... I was always, uh, I always got my check, and I always got it on time, and I never had to deal with any of those issues. Um, f- I mean, the most uh, interesting, not interesting, but just the the Brussels bombing were hard. Um, it was really close to the war we were in. The the missionaries that were injured in it went to our same building. So that part was a little uh, that, that was toward the end, shaky. right, for yeah. you, wasn't it? Yeah. I actually had a really hard time with that. I mean, because, yeah, they they got some uh, hostile areas in that city. Great city, and I will go back in a second, but I, I had a really hard time. I had sleepless nights because of it. But but that was an interesting few weeks. Did Playing that- in the game the weekend after – you know the Paris attacks, and then the the, the Brussels bombing. It was it was strange. You know, security. We go in the in, into the downtown, and it's like a ghost town because you know everybody shut down. But you got to go to the Hard Rock when you're over there. You got to you know have a little uh, <laughs> American food for every once in a while. How much longer did you go after that? Or that did that was that one of the things that I mean? So that happened in March. The Brussels bombings did, and then that, uh, we finished in June. And we was done. it part of your decision? Uh if I'm being truthful, yeah, it played a part. Yeah, you just kind of at that point realized maybe it's time to get home. It, it, it was too close uh, to me. My wife didn't feel it the same way I did. I felt it. I, I had hard time sitting in church because we're all Westerners, and I felt like we were just out in the open kind of thing. And and so yeah, we don't need to go into it. But I, I had a harder time than probably. Uh, most people did. Well, it, so in, in your heart, it must have felt like it's time to be home. Yeah, I guess. yeah. There, there was some. I felt good to be back. No, yeah. so you got back, and uh, and and how quickly was it where you made you know contact and or had you already done so? You knew what you're coming back to in terms of getting with BYU again. Yeah, I had already. You know, uh, I had applied. I had been accepted. I knew when school was going to start, and I think I got back the twelfth. I don't want to say or summer workout started the 16th or in two weeks after that, something like that, you know, and I just jumped in full board. Coach Lewis was doing individuals at the time, a lot more individuals than team stuff. And I was at every one of those that summer and um, just jumped in all the way. Who or what maybe most inspired you to get into coaching? I've had a lot of good coaches, and I think they would all have a part in that. I just knew that I wanted to give it a run, and I've I've enjoyed you know every ounce of it. There's not a part of it that I don't like. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy individuals. I enjoy team stuff. I enjoy being with the staff. I enjoy recruiting. I enjoy handling all the gear for the guys, breaking film, cutting clips. You know, everything about it I enjoy, and I like that it kind of. There's seasons to it, all right. There's camps in June, and then you go out and you recruit in July, and then you're in workouts, but then it starts again in the fall, and then you start getting games. I like the variety of a year. The rhythm and the pace to yeah. a season. Yep. Yeah. So uh, now, now that you're on the staff and, and full-time, this is something that uh, that Coach Rose seems to always think you would just kind of step naturally into. The the, the cliche about certain players, he's a, he's a coach on the floor. Uh when you were playing, did you feel that about yourself? Did you enjoy that part of the game? Did you think it that way, and did you feel like you were kind of asked to be that guy? I don't think I really started to feel it till later in my pro career, and I really love the strategy behind it. I love the different philosophies, and I mean, even in my two years back prior to being hired, I mean, I had offensively two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? I had Coach Nashiff, who you know, wants to score 100 a night. And Coach Schroer wants to have 30 possessions a night. <laughs> and so it's been good for me, right, to see see different sides to everything. I, I really like and I like talking and thinking through 
all that different stuff. We're talking with Lee Kamard on Behind the Mic. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk about his BYU days, favorite memories as a Cougar, and uh, what's in store for the 2018-19 Cougar Hoopsters as well. They, uh, they announced officially a new player on the team. We'll talk about him, too. Lee Kamard is my guest. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. We're taking a break. You are tuned to us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, 89.1 FM HD2 here in northern Utah, the BYU Radio app, and BYURadio.org. Back after this. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. It was five years ago today we had the miracle at Memorial. BYU beat Nebraska in Lincoln 33-28, and the guy who caught the Hail Mary was Mitch Matthews, and three years, I said five years, three years to the day. It was 2015, so three years ago today that play happened. Mitch is coming up at the bottom of the hour here on Behind the Mic. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio. Greg Rubel visiting with... BYU basketball assistant coach and former Cougar hoopster Lee Kamard. Lee, now we'll get back to the BYU days. And your first season as a Cougar was Dave Rose's first season as the head coach. And why do I remember um, Coach Cleve would have still been the coach, I think, and Dave would have been his assistant. For some reason, I remember being at USC, I think. I thought BYU was playing at USC, and you were there. Uh, does that make sense? You were in LA yeah. for some reason, and you came to see the game, or were there, and, and there was some contact at that point. I guess that was part of the recruiting process. Had you already committed? How'd that go? Yeah, so I, I had already committed, and I was I was home, and we drove over with my dad and my brother, and I want to say my nephew came. I'm not sure. I know my dad was there because some of the guys I play with remember my dad because he had an Allen Iverson jersey on, and they never <laughs> forgot that. But uh, we were there. They lost a heartbreaker uh, there. I think Jimmy Ballerson scored 23 that night. They just pulled him out of his red shirt, and uh, we were there that night. And you were seeing some of the guys you'd be playing with. Yeah, yep. Got to see them. Uh, Trent was red shirting, and I, I want to say the staff was in limbo as far as does he come out of red shirt? Should we keep him in red shirt? But uh, I do know Jimmy scored, I want to say, 23 that night. Dave wasn't the head coach yet. No, he was not. Coach Cleveland, who I have a lot of respect for and and has done a lot for me, um, was the coach. And he, he he's a great guy, and I, I respect the heck out of Coach Cleveland. Did did Coach Rose ha- have to re-recruit, re-recruit you once the change was made? You know, a- after my visit, I kind of knew, like, BYU is where I'm going to go. But when, when the change happened, and, and Coach, I want to say he was in Arizona before he had even gotten the job officially. Uh, he, you know, I remember the conversation we had in our living room, and he just said, hey, you know, I, we still want you. And um, so, yeah. How do you look back on that first year? It ended up being a 20-win year. <laughs> I mean, people look at Dave Rose's, you know, rec- and I keep, I, I, people who know me know that I, I, I repeat a lot of things about what's happened over the last 12, 13 years. One of them is he's never won fewer than 20 games. Okay, let's just think about that for a second. Winning, and people say, oh, 20 isn't what it used to, but still to never have a quote-unquote down year in 13 years, win 20 or more every year. But the first year might have been the hardest year to do it, right? They're coming off a nine-win season, I think, the year before. And BYU goes 29 after being picked to finish last in the league, I think, that year. How do you look back at the 05-06 season and getting to 20 and just getting to the NIT? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously it was, a, it was a great season for BYU. Picked to finish last, won nine games a year before, like you said. Um, I know I had big plans and aspirations, and I want to say I had some 80-plus 80, 80 people at the first home game. <laughs> And I think Coach only played me, uh, I want to say, 16 minutes, and I scored three points, and I was really disappointed. We lost. Uh, we did lose. That was that was uh, Coach's first game. We lost. The next practice the next day was not fun at all. I still remember it, and we still talk about it, the guys that were on that team. Um, but, but a good learning experience that first year, and it kind of, you know, you come in with all these expectations, and when it doesn't go that way, it can kind of go two ways, right, where it's like, hey – my coach is terrible. He doesn't know what he's doing. Or, hey, I'm humble. I'm coachable. I'm all in, and I'm just going to work to figure out how I can stay on the court. And that's why, for me, that next year is my favorite year at BYU. Your, um, your, your sophomore year. My sophomore year, I was more of a role player, defensive guy. And I, I just came in with the approach of I want to do whatever I can to be on the court because I knew we played fast enough and I knew we shot the ball fast enough that I would score enough, at least for a sophomore. 
Um, but but that team with Austin and, and Jimmy and Keena and Rash- you know Rashawn and Trent and Fernando, like all those guys, that it was a great year and uh, a lot of memories. Your first year as a freshman, you were the seventh leading scorer on that on that twenty win team. Next year, you're the third leading scorer on that twenty five win team, and now you're back in the NCAA tournament. We went to Rupp Arena and yep. played Xavier that yep. year. And it, by that point, it had been a little while since BYU had been to the dance. And so now you're back in it. And then you, you went to the dance each of your last three seasons, sophomore, junior, senior. And in your last two years, you led the team in scoring in both of those years. And I guess one of the most important things to you is we're talking championships now and we're talking NCAA tournaments. Yeah. So for me, looking back on my college career, there's two things that I wanted to do that I didn't they didn't get done. I, I did never beat UNLV on their home court, and I never won an NCAA tournament game. I had a lot of I had four opportunities, or actually six, against UNLV down there, and then three in the NCAA tournament. And we, we truthfully probably should have won that Xavier game. We we're up five late in that game, um, but those are the two things. When I look back, that's the only thing. Other than that, nothing but great memories and. Uh, goals that were achieved and you know and and just just being with the guys it it was a great time here at BYU it was a Sean Miller Xavier team right it was a Sean Miller Xavier team they had I want to say eight pros on that team several of them are still playing I played against a couple of them overseas and they had a really good team. Then we had the weird back-to-back A&M experience. We, that, <laughs> that was also uh, a good experience both those A&M teams had a lot of professionals on it um, some of them lottery picks, and some of them, you know, all all league guys still playing in the NBA. But but great teams. We had good teams, but but those were really good teams. As you look back on your four year BYU career, and and you've hit a couple of the high points already. Um, are are there games that that maybe not others might immediately point to that stick with you because something they meant particularly to you? I, I know the Utah game, my sophomore year up in the Huntsman Center. One particular instance. Where it's late in the game, and and we have the game won, but it's not it's not, you know, like it's not for sure, and we're shooting free throws, and I'm on the court with Jimmy Balderson, and he's like celebrating already, and I'm like, Jimmy, come on, like the game's not over, like be serious. He's like, what are you talking about? This is awesome. I'm gonna love this, you know, kind of thing. So that's one particular uh, memory, but just some of the bes- behind the scenes uh, memories, I'll cherish forever. Some of the Funny things that happen in the locker room and on the road and, and just with the guys, and it's a blast. If you were in Coach Rose's shoes and, and, I, and, and you had to say what he might say about how Lee Kamard progressed from that freshman year through his senior season, what do you think he might say about you and your development? Hmm. How you changed maybe as a player or person? I, I know for a fact that he would tell the story of after my freshman year, I came in with a big long list of why this and why that and I know he would share that story this is after your first year yeah after my first year kind of an end of the year meeting and you know I was I was a little fired up I had my list and I wanted to discuss you know certain things one in particular I know that was on the list was TCU game right I hit the three to I I don't play much in the game he puts me in and we battle back and I hit the three and I don't see the floor in overtime, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, come on, doesn't he see my production? You know, so we talked about that. I did have a list, but I think what he would say is just that every year I got I, I improved in some area, right? Whether it was statistically speaking, as a teammate, as a leader, I think that that's probably where he would go. I could be wrong, but uh, I like to think that's where he would go. In the intro to you, uh, I, I talked about all the different areas in which you rank very highly uh, in, in BYU's all-time charts. And, and do you take a notion of pride in that, in that you weren't just one thing or you didn't just do one thing particularly well, but you could look to multiple areas and say, yeah, he did this, he did that, did that too? Uh, I mean, that's always who I've been as a player. Uh, I think that, well, people have always told me, like, I think you were a little too unselfish. You may have cost your team games. <laughs> I know I cost myself money by playing the way I play, uh, at least professionally. Um, but there, there's something about winning as opposed to losing, and there's also something about um, helping your uh, other teammates succeed too that's very rewarding uh, and and something that y- you can cherish. Okay, let's flash it forward now uh, to 2018-19. Practices will officially start this month, 
And before you know it, we'll be, uh, we'll be playing games. Like you said, the rhythm of the season is picking up here in a bit. Uh, how good do you feel about uh, the team that BYU is going to put on the floor in 2018-19? I'm really excited. Um, everybody's back. You know, we, we lost Elijah and, and, and Peyton moved on. But uh, we got a, a more experienced team than we've had. Uh, we got guys that sacrifice for the team. We got some really talented guys, guys that are going to make money playing this game. Uh, well, one thing that excites me, too, is I feel like Coach Rose is excited and as energized as he's been since I've been back, uh, which is which is exciting. Um, but but we, we got a lot of talent. We got a long way to go, and we have some really good teams in our league. But the schedule's there for us to, you know, uh, make a statement and make some noise nationally, and it's, it, I'm really excited. Elijah just signed his first pro deal in Israel. Yeah, place you didn't play. Nope. Uh, but uh, he clearly felt it was his time to take the next step and and uh, and, and head that direction. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I was in contact with Elijah after you know the draft and all that, and he he was back a ton and and working out and and just kind of his whole process of. You know, hey, what's your agent saying? You know, tell me what are you what are you thinking, and and just kind of talking through with through that with him uh, was good because I felt like when I came out, I didn't really have anybody that was there that I could you know talk to. Um, Travis Hansen was at a really high level Europe in, in Europe, and so he didn't know what it was like down, <laughs> down where I was starting. Um, but, but, but it was good. It was fun. I talked to Eli, uh, he got in and he, he FaceTimed me. I got to see his apartment and his view. I know he, he posted it on social media. He, he's in a nice little spot. I know he likes his coach. His coach reached out to him from the, from the start and just said, Hey, we're, we're happy to have you. So he's excited. I'm excited for him, but it'll be a piece that we're going to have to replace. Do college guys always tend to miss the college experience, uh, once they've left it a little bit more than they maybe they think? Yeah, I think even if you play all four years and and you you know go to the nba like you're gonna miss it's just different you're playing for money now and it it just changes things a little bit a couple of the teams i was on professionally the money thing wasn't really an issue a lot of guys on there playing for the love of the game and, and and to win and that makes it so much better and i think you saw that with the football team on saturday agendas to the side the camaraderie was there the fun was back in the game. The culture was there. It was it was fun to watch, and I hope that that's what this year's basketball team sees, embraces, and just goes all in for each other. And it's amazing what can happen when that happens. He'll be on this year's team, but he won't play. Jesse Wade, BYU announced today officially that Jesse has joined the BYU basketball program, transferring from Gonzaga. What is BYU getting in uh, in Jesse? He is a playmaker. Um, I didn't get to see him much in high school, um, but but he is a playmaker. He he came and played a couple times with us when I was still playing, and uh, he can make shots. Coach loves guys that can make shots. That's what he is. He actually we had our first practice today, and it was good to see him in in BYU blue and out there with our guys. And um, he he's going to be. I, I know he's a gym rat. And he wants to be in the gym, and wants to get better. So look for big things from him. So he had, he played his freshman year with the Zags last year. He'll sit this year and then have three to play, correct? Correct. All right. Uh, Sarah and you have how many kids now, and how's family life coming along? Uh, we have three boys. Our oldest is 11. and uh, Is he a baller? Or? You know, they're starting to kind of embrace the American way of sports. You know, I love one of my favorite things is if – I'm not at home or if I wake up late or if I come back from the office or, or working out or whatever and they have ESPN going on, that is like the best thing in the world. <laughs> so oldest is 11. Uh, the middle son and what's is, his name? is Casey. Casey. And then? Yeah, the middle son is Charlie and he is seven, turns eight in January, and then the youngest turns three this month. And that's what's Benny his... or Bennett. We Casey, call him Benny. Casey, Charlie, and Benny? Or yeah. Bennett? Okay. Yep. So three boys and, and you and Sarah and you are now a full-time basketball coach does that feel pretty good to say it's it's exciting especially at this place this place is unique but it's awesome and uh the place you had occupied is now filled by another former cougar and uh, we should say that uh, nate austin's part of the group now nate is part of the fold and he has jumped all the way in and, and loves every bit of it too 
All right. Well, I'm glad you came into tonight, uh, Lee, to catch us up on on how things are going for you and relive a few memories. And I'm looking forward to the season. Official day of practice. I'm not sure. It's later this month. Or like, like where everyone goes full bore. Yeah. You, you've got the guys a bit for, right now. For us, official day can start the 25th uh, because of our November 6th start. And I think we're going to actually uh, practice on the 27th, the first official day. Because right, so you get a certain amount of days in between your first game. You backtrack from the first correct. game. Right. All right, so later this month, practices officially start with the whole group. And then, again, before you know it, BYU basketball is on the hardwoods and on the air here on BYU Radio. Lee, thanks again. Thanks for having me, Greg. It's All good right. to hear your voice. Yeah, it's good to be with you. That's Lee Kamard. Coming up next, Mitch Matthews as we go from a basketball to football three years to the day that he caught that pass from a Tanner Mangum and Lincoln to beat Nebraska. Mitch Matthews is next. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143 in northern Utah, 89.1 FM HD2 on the BYU Radio app and BYURadio.org. Back with more right after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Greg Rubel. Welcome back to tonight's edition of Behind the Mic. And for our second interview segment of the show, it's time for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Mitch Matthews was the second of two Matthews brothers to make it to BYU from Beaverton, Oregon. Following his older brother Marcus's commitment to the Cougars, Mitch had a redshirt season in Provo before a two-year church mission, resuming his career with the start of the 2012 season. Over four seasons, Mitch racked up more than 2,000 receiving yards, becoming one of only 14 BYU players to hit the 2K plateau. His 24 receiving touchdowns are fifth all-time at BYU, while his 16 catches in one game are the most recorded in a single game at BYU over the last 40 five years. He's one of only 12 BYU players with 150-plus career catches, ending with 151 at BYU. But of those 151, none was as memorable as this one. Last play of the game. Snap, Tanner. Backpedal. Sprint out to the right. He's got time. Loads up. Launches it. Goes for the end zone. The ball's in the air. It drops at the goal line. I think he caught it for a touchdown. He got it! He got it! He got it! Touchdown, Mick Matthews! The Cougars win! All right, I didn't expect my voice to do what it did right there, but sometimes excitement takes over and you lose your mind just a little bit. That's exactly what I did three years ago today when this guy made that catch to carry BYU over Nebraska in Lincoln by a score of 33-28, and Mitch Matthews, welcome in behind the mic. Great, how long? That sounds like the adolescent uh, ver- ver- version of you. Yeah, yeah that, that was the, uh, the, the, the Kermit the Frog version of a play-by-play guy right there. But I couldn't help it. I mean, I, I think a lot of fans were doing the same thing I was doing at that moment. <laughs> How are we doing, Greg? We're doing good. Hey, it was three years ago today, as it turned out, and I kind of stumbled upon that as I was getting ready for today. Does September 5th carry any special memory for that reason, or is it just another day, or do you go, yeah, it's been three years? To be honest, you were my first reminder that that, that was today. So appreciate that. So yeah, yeah I got I got to remember it going forward now that it's September fifth, uh, three years ago. That's crazy. I cannot believe it was three years ago. Is it okay to be connected with one thing like that again? You played four years, made a ton of catches, lots of scores. Is it okay to have that one thing attached to you as long as people will will talk about and remember BYU football? A week doesn't go by. Sometimes even days at a time doesn't go by where, where I don't hear about it or get a text message or remember this or a reminder about it. Or when I meet someone, even across the country, whatever it is, someone will bring it up to me and I'll never forget about it because it was impactful to me and it was kind of icing on the cake for my career um, and I'll never forget it. So um, it was it was special to me. So why ever forget it? The, the story of the game has been told enough uh, that, that people are, are familiar enough with it. Are, are there things or is, are, are, is there a thing or are there things about that day or about that player, about that game that, that don't get talked about or don't get remembered or that people might not know that went into what happened in Lincoln that afternoon? Yeah, I would just say that is in my sports career, the most bittersweet moment of my career, the highest of high for me in terms of excitement and play being made uh, I mean and, and then what happened to Taysom in the game as well it couldn't have been more bitter sweet right to have that experience happen win that game have a I mean a great team win have Tanner come in there and make his mark and our defense playing unbelievable and it just everyone 
playing their absolute best and then having, to be honest, your best player on the team get hurt. And, and a legend at BYU get hurt like that in the first game and with what he's already gone through in the past and then to have what happened at the end of the game, you know, winning the game, it couldn't be more bittersweet, especially to embrace Taysom at the end of the game. And I know people have seen that as well on um, some of our highlights, uh, you know, me and Taysom, you know, interacting after the game and us, to be honest, being in tears about uh, what we just realized happened with him. Um, it couldn't have been more bittersweet. Um, but as you see now, Taysom, he still does well, even with all the injuries he's had. So um, more props to him for, for, for hanging in there and pushing through and, and, and uh, making his dreams happen. When that day began, BYU's going into to, to Lincoln to open the season, and there's something you know pretty uh, um, pretty epic about playing in that stadium against that team. It was a one-off deal. They were paying BYU to come and play there. A lot of people expected Nebraska in the first game of the Mike Riley era to you know to get off to a winning start. The way Taysom looked and the way Taysom played and the way the team kind of responded, I'm sure you guys felt like pretty early on, hey, we're going to be okay in this thing, right? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we, as players, you know, we're not naive about how that had happened. It, it almost seems like, you know, when you when you pay a team to come play, it's almost like the, it's an automatic underdog label right on the right on the forehead of your helmet, right? And so I think, you know, guys that thought like myself and Tay, some of the other leaders of the team, just thought, you know, that's that's almost uh, that's kind of offensive, right? We want to go in there and play our best game, and I think we started out the right way. I think we got up on them early and. Had some struggles, um, you know, as Taysom went down at first. But luckily, you know, in BYU, there's always good quarterbacks. And, and, and Tanner came in and filled that spot up and, and uh, battled through and were able to pull it out. But, yeah, I think uh, we're not naive. We knew about that with, you know, that being the case, that we were labeled as the underdog right away. But that wasn't the case in our minds whatsoever. Because of the crowd, because of the venue, because of the name on the helmets of the opposition and the way it turned out, uh, could could there have been a you know was there a bigger game for you or, or was that kind of the pinnacle for you? I know the way that ended it, of course, is 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 you know completely memorable. But but was that kind of it for you? Was that the one you look at? Yeah, it was probably the highlight. Yeah, it was probably the, the when I look back in my career, you just kind of you don't remember every single play or every single game, or every single thing that happened. But you remember the big times, the, the good times. You remember the hard times as well. But those good times definitely outweigh those tough times, um, those losses or those drop passes, whatever it was. You, you know, you, you definitely look at those those memorable moments and you cherish those forever. Especially every time I, I hear, you know, my name um, on a Twitter account or whatever it is, it's an anniversary of this catch or a poster of this catch, and so it, I'm reminded of it the most. But in terms of games and that venue and that stadium and just the 30 years in a row that they had had of never losing the home opener to go in and do that, it was, it was more of a team thing than just a, you know a me individual thing. It was a team win for sure, obviously. One play, I guess, finished it, but it, it, we played very well, and um, you know, it was it was definitely a great venue to do it in. And I think the fans there were probably the best fans we played against. They were the nicest. All the parents is their favorite place to go is Nebraska because of how obviously how it ended. But their fans were awesome, and it was just a great team uh, to be in the Mike Riley era. And, and I, I I grew up watching him at Oregon State. One of the ni- one of the neatest things about that day was that there was actually a second celebration because after I went nuts there and, and called the touchdown, they still, had to take, they still had to take a look at it to make sure that it really was a touchdown. So we had that weird moment or moments where BYU was celebrated, you've celebrated, we, we thought we knew what we saw, the ball's in, but we had to wait until they finally confirmed it. Can you take us back to, the, to that, that span of time when you'd made the catch, but then you had to wait to make sure that you'd made the catch? To be honest, Greg, I don't even remember that second wave coming because I was so for sure that it happened <laughs> I knew I caught it I knew that the ball wasn't sandwiched between me and the ground I knew I had it I knew I was in so there was no doubt in my mind so I don't ever personally at least remembering that that I needed to, to celebrate twice but I definitely as if you're watching on tv if you're watching from the sidelines wherever you are it's definitely you almost have to um wait and get re-nervous again about a second ending of the game but to me I you know I, I knew it was in I knew it was it was the game a game over I, I couldn't imagine unless there was a, a flag on the field that would have <laughs> that would have changed that from happening because no way I was going to be down at the one yard line and not get in I had to kind of roll over and just kind of flop my body in there give one last push and just get that ball across the the goal line um and I knew it was over from there what percentage of that play is good fortune? What percentage of that play is design? And then, of course, there has to be the component of skill to, to focus and make the catch. But how do you look at those kinds of plays and, and, and that particular play? Great question. Um, there definitely is some design and, and props to the coaches for that design. If, if you, I mean, if you look at that play, you look at the two guys that, that are kind of the focus of it, Taryn and um, Nick Kurtz, that run down there. It's, it's kind of obvious we load the right side of the field so everyone focuses over there. And then you see me kind of sneak in 
um, almost unannounced, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the last guy that you can be looked at. I'm, I'm the farthest away. When we run that short side of the field, it's obvious the ball is going to be thrown to the right. But the focus was those two guys because they were the first ones down there. So all the defenders rally to them and it's and kind of ends up being me versus one or two guys um down there so it, it's part design obviously part luck to have Tanner throw it right where he did and and and, and if you look really closely if you're watching slow motion and you see me getting banged up in midair it's obviously pass interference um so there's obviously luck involved the ball happening right there <laughs> but i mean it, it's one of those moments where i've dreamed about that for so long i feel like if i hadn't dreamed about that moment since i was a kid it definitely wouldn't have happened i would have been confused or where to go myself and and if we hadn't practiced that play weekly um it just leads to the flow of it it, it was one of those ones that wouldn't happen so there's a lot of luck involved a lot of um planning involved and practice involved but at the end of the day it was just one of those ones where um with hearing about on the sideline Taysom going down and us not going to lose that game after how we started. And it was my senior year and we had to start off right. It was, there was no reason that I could justify in my mind to not come down with that ball and win it for my teammates. Did you ever have a play like that in high school? Not that big, no. Not, not even close. Last second, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, just the venue as well. The first game of the year was kind of all in one. I think it was the first college game of the year. Even even at that point, it was it was exciting. And even in my um, you know when I went on to play uh, in the NFL, it was it was that was the hail mary guy. That's what coaches knew me by. That's <laughs> what it was. It was oh wait you're, you're the, the hail mary guy right? And so that's what it kind of came down to always was. So that is definitely the the crowning event in my career, and I guess just a highlight uh, of it. You had 11 touchdowns that year, uh, which brought you to 24 for your career when you were all said and done. The 11 touchdowns, by the way, seventh most in a single season at BYU with guys like Glenn, Glenn Kozlowski and, and Cody Hoffman. The 24 for a career, only four guys have ever caught more than you. And uh, I guess it's kind of nice, too, to know that um, you're up there with uh, some notable names and that, and that scoring touchdowns is one of the things you're known for at BYU. Yeah, it just comes with uh, being extra tall, I guess. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of um, my catching radius, I guess, would be bigger in, in the red zone and everything. Um, but yeah, it's definitely great company. I mean, those guys that are up there in that ranking that are above me were guys that I had followed um, if I was alive, right? If I followed them, and they were my examples to go beat. So if it wasn't for them setting that bar so high, I wouldn't even have been where I was. So. Speak. Kudos to them, and and they are the reason why it's even close to them is because they were already there sitting at bar, and um, they were the guys I looked at. I played, even played with Cody. Cody was unbelievable. And yeah. I, I, Austin Colley was one of the reasons why I wanted to go there because he, he kind of established that um, that role there and, and broke all those records. So those guys were so close to me in my era that I, I said, you know what, I'm going to go there and, and try to do the same thing as them. And so they paved that path for me and set that example to me. So credit to them, nothing nothing on my end. Speaking of Collies, uh, you were in the program when Dylan had his redshirt year here, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now, yeah. He's, and now he's back having graduated from Hawaii and playing for BYU back again and making plays for the Cougs. Absolutely, yeah. Dylan is an awesome guy. I love that guy. He's he's great. He's ex- extremely competitive. And one thing I love about Dylan is is two things. He's extremely confident, and he's just he's just got he's got an edge to him. He's got a chip on his shoulder, and that is that is exactly why that guy will have success this year. And uh, I know Austin as well, and they're a lot of like they come from the same mold, and uh, they both have a chip on their shoulder for, almost for no reason, right? And that's how you should be, right? They just have a chip on their shoulder uh, to, go, to go prove something to somebody. And Dylan, especially having his brother already come through the program, he came in with the attitude that is the opposite of what you think you come in with, um, that everything needed to be handed to him, that he's a colleague, that he should have this. He came in the exact opposite. He wanted to earn his own stripes. And that's why both those guys have had success and will continue to have success here yeah, this year. I, I only wish that BYU could have had him for his entire career, but they've got him now, and, and that's okay. Hey, before the break, you mentioned uh, your, your height. 6'6 six, six is what you were listed at. Uh, and, and basketball was something that you've uh, played alongside football, I guess, for a long, long time. How big has hoops been in your life? You know what? It, it hasn't. I didn't even play basketball in high school. Wait, <laughs> you, you were always dunking all, on campus and playing games on campus. Yeah. You, you, you didn't play at all in high school? I didn't play in high school at all. I played baseball and football. Baseball was definitely my best sport growing up. I was a left-handed pitcher. That was my thing. I just didn't enjoy it as much as football. That's why I kind of gravitated towards football. And of course, my brother was kind of paved that path. That's I wanted to play with him and and you know him being tight end and me receiver. That just sounded so cool to me. That's what I wanted to do. But you just basketball, mi- you just messed around with basketball. Middle school. Was that? You, you, so you just messed around with basketball then? Just messed around. Yeah, it was always like a summertime 
deal, 24 hour fitness, just kind of show up with your <laughs> shoes and kind of go play some ball. Do you ever wish you did play? I do. Yeah, I really do. And <laughs> looking back, looking, looking at how my body type turned out by being really tall and lanky, I definitely probably should have played. <laughs> and everyone to this day, my, my friends, uh, family still make fun of me to this day that I didn't play. And they still hold a grudge <laughs> to this day that I didn't go play. And it, I even hold that to myself sometimes. I probably should have, but, uh, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. All right, we'll take a break with Mitch Matthews. We'll come back. We'll talk about his brother, his family, uh, his, his married life, and what he's doing nowadays. Mitch Matthews is our guest on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. It's our Catching Up with the Cougar segment brought to you by BYU alumni. And BYU's Behind the Mic program is brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. More with Mitch right after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Craig Rubel. All right, a few more minutes with uh, Mitch Matthews tonight on Behind the Mic, former BYU wide receiver, and kind of coincidentally wasn't planned this way, but that's I guess that's, that's, that's a stroke of genius. We get him three years to the day that he caught the pass to beat Nebraska in Lincoln, uh, 33-28 back in 2015. That was, yeah, three years ago to this very day. Mitch is with us. I mentioned Marcus, uh, your older brother. He preceded you to BYU in terms of commitment, but in the way, the, the, the way it worked, didn't he go, did he go Michigan out of high school, and, or, or did he come here before he went? He went mission right out of high school, so I actually was able to register yeah. before he was even there. So, so I actually made it there before he did. Yeah, so he's older than you, committed before you, but you actually got to campus before he did. You redshirted, right. then went on a mission. By the time you came back, he was playing, right? Yeah, that's correct. How, how integral was, uh, was Marcus in terms of your personal goals, the BYU side of things, and how nice was it to ultimately be uh, you know, sharing a locker room with him at, at the collegiate level? It couldn't have been better, man. Uh, we loved it playing together. That's that's all we ever talked about as kids. That's all we ever dreamed about as kids. And once he committed there to BYU, it was my – I was a freshman. I think he was a junior. Or no, he got offered as a sophomore. I think I was in eighth grade. So I was always an Oregon Duck fan growing up. So was he. And then once he got offered to BYU, um, from there on, it was obviously Uber BYU fans. I, that, that was my goal ever since I was a freshman in high school, to go to BYU, play football, be receiver because of him. I, I don't know where I'd be if um, if I wanted to get into BYU or – Hopefully, would have gone to Oregon or Oregon State. That's because those are my teams growing up. But once he went to BYU, then that was 100% my team and where my eyes were drawn to and my goals were set on being a Cougar. You uh, had your great Hail Mary moment. While you were on a mission, he had his game-winning moment, right? He had the Utah, he, right. he, he, yeah. had, he had the Utah State game, a comeback win with uh, Riley Nelson coming in at quarterback and off a crazy last-minute play. He ends up being the guy that gets to celebrate at the end of a game. Yep, I was woken up on my mission by a couple members of uh, the church nearby, and <laughs> by his by his uh, big moment, and, and uh, I don't even remember being able to see it for like a few days because <laughs> of uh, when P Day was. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was obviously sent every picture, every video, every highlight I could even, and then at church I was bombarded by all the members. So uh, yeah, he had his big moment, and uh, that's everyone remembers that as well. So whenever he goes up to. Uh, um, visit family in, in Logan. That's where all my family is. They're all big Utah State fans. He, we always have bragging rights up there. And uh, that, that was his big moment. It was huge. I mean, last second play, same type of thing. So um, it was uh, his crowning moment as well. You mentioned your family. And uh, during you know my years traveling with BYU, we'll end up at the, you know, the team hotel or a team hotel. And we'll often end up uh, encountering uh, players' parents in the lobby and whatnot. And you get to know a few of them. And, and, and I got to you know, cross paths with your folks. And uh, and there came a time when, when your mom um, encountered health issues that became uh, something that ultimately affected your life for, for quite a while. Would you mind sharing with our listeners uh, that phase of your life and how it impacted you and, and your family? Yeah, for sure. Um, my It was, man, it was uh, after college. My mom got diagnosed with cancer, pancreatic cancer. And if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, it's one of those ones where the second you get it, the second you're diagnosed, it's, it's nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100 terminal cancer, and that's what hers was. And so they gave her four or five months to live from the second we found out. And I found out um, a week before I found out that I was going to go play for the Chiefs. So in my mind, I had it made up that I was quitting football. I mean, I wasn't about to go play football and be gone for a whole season and, and, and be in Kansas City or wherever else in Cleveland, which is where I ended up. And I, my mom passed away and, and me not be there, I would have, you know, blamed football for all of that. I would have, you know, never been able to live with myself knowing that I was away. And um, 
she promised me that she'd be at least better for longer, longer than uh, five months. And um, she was, she was, she was better for about 10 months, 11 months and uh, she passed away. Um, tough times, but she's the reason why uh, we keep rolling. How long has it been now? Uh, year and a half. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry if it's uncomfortable to talk about, Mitch. Yeah, you know, I, I get asked about it a lot and uh, used to it by now, but uh, it's uh, it's all part of it, right? So we just keep rolling. We keep moving on. How's your dad? He, uh, <laughs> he missed her. Um, she was definitely, uh, for those who knew her, um, the uh, biggest fan of all time, decked out. It was almost, uh, you know, her and Jamal Williams' mom, always decked out in the BYU, had every bedazzled earring and headband and shirt and jersey, you know, decked out, head to toe, first into the game, and uh, she, uh, she'll be missed. Mitch, you've got a... You've got a wonderful wife alongside you, somebody that BYU fans know from her BYU soccer days in, in Maddie, the uh, granddaughter of my dear broadcast partner, Mark Lyons, and the family connections just kind of keep on coming. And um, How are you and Maddie doing together, and what are you doing right now with life, and, and how are things going? She is three feet from me, so she's doing great. I'm here with her right now, <laughs> and uh, she's, doing, she's doing awesome. She, um, I mean, I, you know better than me, her stats and everything about how she did at BYU. She was unbelievable. And uh, first team on conference, led the team in scoring. And uh, she has her own pretty dang cool story as well about her triumph and highs and lows at BYU and going from um, honestly on the bench to being one of the best players in the country. So, I mean, not many people can say that, that, they, that they've done that in their career before and led the team in scoring her senior year and um, was first team all-conference as a senior. And, um, oh, my gosh, she's definitely the best athlete in the family. You know, I got tired of getting called the slow guy, the slow receiver for, for that many years. That's why I had to marry the fastest girl at BYU, and I did. So locked it down. And that's why she ended up running track at BYU, and uh, she was the fastest girl at the school. So it's pretty dang cool to – to know that's my spouse. On top of how cool she is, obviously. Yeah, and and I know you have some shared life experiences too that are that are tender and and are part of the relationship as well. And and Mitch, uh, again, I I, uh, I I'm sorry to have uh, maybe uh, brought you down a little bit. I know that your memories are warm and happy of your mom, and I I, I know that. Uh, uh, from people who followed you on social media and otherwise, how much she meant to you, and I, I hope it's okay that we talked about her a little bit. Greg, you can ask me anything you want anytime, man. You're the man, and. Uh... It's all part. It's all part of uh, my experience, and my story. Well, Mitch, BYU fans love you, and uh, I, I, I trust that you're doing well where you are. I think you're down in the southeast right now. Is it Atlanta where you are? Yep, Maddie and I, both of us. Okay. Well, I hope business is going well. I hear it is from from Mark, and uh, we wish you all the very best. Appreciate you, man. You're the man. Thanks, Mitch. That's Mitch Matthews joining us tonight, and he was our Catching Up with the Cougars segment here on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, brought to you by BYU Alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU Alumni Chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Well, our thanks to all those who joined us tonight on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, Mitch Matthews, along with Lee Kamard, and to you for tuning in on BYU Radio. We will talk to you next week. From 6 o'clock Eastern, or 6 o'clock Mountain, 8 o'clock Eastern, next Wednesday night. Pleasure being with you. We'll talk to you next week.